Okay, so kids, as we start off here, I wanna, wanna speak with you, okay? And at the end of Pastor Ross's sermon, uh, most of the adults here, we're gonna celebrate a great tradition that we have in church. It's a tradition that Christians have been doing for 2,000 years, and that's where we're gonna celebrate communion or the Lord's table, okay? So uh, you may not be ready to do that. That's gonna be a decision that you make with your parents, okay? So you'll need to whisper with them, and maybe you wanna come up and just watch and see what they do, or maybe you've, you've made a commitment to Christ, you've been baptized, and you're ready to take communion this morning, but just kinda look to your parents on what to do when we get to the end of the service when it comes to uh, celebrating this, uh, this wonderful tradition that we have, okay? But I'm not done with you kids. Here's, here's another thing. This is an opportunity now. It's gonna be Q&A. This is an opportunity now for you to embarrass your parents, okay? So kids, I wanna hear from you first on this. If you were to walk in on your parents watching TV, just being in the living room and they've got the TV on, what show are they probably watching? Somebody over here. What? Tegan? Flip or flop. Perfect. Thank you very much. That's going to work into my sermon here in just a second. Anybody else over on this side? What, what show? If you walk in on your parents, they're watching TV. What are they probably watching, Caden? Your mom just put your hand down, so I really want to know this. What's mom's favorite show, Caden? America's Got Talent. All right, awesome. Back here, Eli. The news. Why do parents like the news so much? I mean, there's like hardly nothing good on the news, right? Over here, yeah, Brennan. What is it? Documentaries. That just sounds boring. Okay. <laughs> What's that? Tennis. Okay, all right, excellent. So uh, in our house, okay, and I'm gonna steal my kid's story here. In our house, this is probably about a month ago, maybe two months ago, but uh, we're just kind of doing our normal routine and Braxton walks down the stairs in the morning and we've got the TV on and he says, ah, oh, fixer upper, this show again? You know, Fixer Upper has just kind of taken the place by storm. And I married a lady, I married a woman that just loves Fixer Upper and loves to transform things and make things better. And she can see something that's old and rustic or out of date and she can just transform it. She's just, when people, when people come over to our house, they're like, wow, your wife really does a great job decorating. And I'm like, why do you just automatically assume it's her? And I... Because we know. There are a lot of us that are not transformers. We don't really like, and, and I married a, a, a lady that loves to just take things and add beauty to it and transform it. I, on the other hand, am, am, am more into like rearranging, okay? Not transforming, but rearranging. Let's, let's kind of move this chair over here or maybe move that, that picture over here. Not so much into transformation, but rearranging, that's, that's my speed. But, but all of us have seen when a, when a room changes or when a house is remodeled or when we're watching that extreme home makeover. You remember that one? That was one of the first. And Ty would say, move that bus, right? Are you with me? And the bus would move and all of a sudden there's transformation. 
Something that was old or different has been made new. It has been transformed. Well, there's a part of us that loves transformation, and there's another part of many of us that just doesn't want to change. We don't like change. Change is hard for us, and we just would rather kind of rearrange than transform. Well, what if I told you this morning, what if I made the claim this morning that the Christian life at its core is a life of transformation? It's a life of transformation. God takes dead people, gives them life, and he transforms them. He doesn't just save us from something, but he saves us for something. He doesn't just uh, forgive us of our sins, but he, through the Holy Spirit, transforms our hearts and makes us into new people. That's what he's about. Not just giving us fire insurance, but giving us power to change and to be remodeled, to be reformed into something that's beautiful and attractive. And that's what we see this morning as we look, continue in our study of Romans. We see this passage where the Apostle Paul invites us to this process of transformation. So open up your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12. And kids, open your Bibles as well. I want you to look into God's word and see that this is coming uh, from the scripture and not from me. And we're going to look at the first eight verses of Romans chapter 12, okay? Now, if you've been with us for a while, you know the... uh, Several times I put up this nice, uh, quick little outline of the book of Romans from Warren Wearsby, and we are down at point five, okay? We are approaching the end. So the beginning part of Romans talked about sin and salvation and sanctification, and we just finished this really difficult part of Romans about God's sovereignty, and now we're to the final S word, service, where Paul is saying, based upon everything that I've said, here's now how we should live our lives in light of what I've taught you, in light of what I've written, okay? And so uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and, and, and verse 2 are kind of a, a hinge for this whole book, for Paul's entire letter of Romans kind of hinges right here at chapter 12, okay? So I want to read uh, these eight verses to us and pray for our time in God's Word, and then we'll kind of work quickly through this, Okay? So uh, join me, Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, and I'll go all the way through uh, verse 8, okay? Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another." Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, 
The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Father God, we pray that as we look into your word this morning, your Holy Spirit would enlighten us, would teach us, would indeed transform us here in the moment and as we yield to the Holy Spirit in the days and weeks and years ahead, Lord, that you would transform us to be more ourselves, to be more our true selves in the image of Jesus. It's in his beautiful name we pray, amen. I'll say, so what we're gonna see here this morning quickly, three headings are this. We're gonna see the goal, the means, and the motivation, okay? That's our three headings, the goal, the means, and the motivation. First of all, the goal, all right? The goal, we see that primarily, we're gonna start actually in verse two, where he says, he, he puts it in contrast. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be transformed. And the word here for transformed is the Greek word metamorpho. Now, kids, what does that word sound like from your science class? Metamorpho. Metamorphosis, right? And that's this, this natural but amazing process that happens where this caterpillar turns to a butterfly, right? Through metamorphosis. So what starts as an egg then becomes this caterpillar, but then transformed, is changed into this beautiful thing that we see a butterfly. The Christian life is about a radical, continual transformation. A radical, continual transformation. But the problem is some of us, and I'm, I'm among us, sometimes we're like, hey, this is me, this is just who I am and I'm not gonna change. Have you ever heard that from somebody? You ever said that yourself? Well, that is in very contrast with the teaching of the Bible that says God wants to and is working to transform us. Now, I'm not talking here about our personalities as much. I'm talking more so about our character. God in his transformation process is not trying to make uh, introverts extroverts. All right, or he's not trying to make accountants artists or change our personality uh, in some drastically different way, but what he is trying to do is change our character. And what does he want our character to look like? Well, we've already heard back in Romans chapter eight what that character is supposed to look like. Flip with me back, Romans chapter eight, verses verse 29. And for verse 28 is that wonderful verse that a lot of us have, have clung on to. Maybe you've put it uh, even on a poster in your home or something, but verse 28 says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And then verse 29, he says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What is God trying to transform us into or conform? It's the same word here with the different prefix in verse 29, conform and transform. What is he trying to transform us into? According to verse 29, the image of Jesus. Not that our personality will radically change, but that our character and our holiness would change to be like Jesus, because we all need change, right? right. Y'all remember that wonderful show in 2013, Frozen, right? Kids, you remember that? 
And what happens when Kristoff brings, uh, is it Anna or else? It brings Anna back to the family of trolls and the trolls think that there's a love connection there and they say, what's wrong with him? Why don't you like Kristoff? And, uh, and uh, the trolls sing, he, we know he's a bit of a fixer-upper, right? What, what is it that you don't like the way he walks, the gruffy way, the grumpy way he talks? He's a bit of a fixer-upper and guess what? We are all in need of fixing up. We all have some fixing up to do. We all have some rough edges. We have some parts of our character that need to change and be transformed to be more like Jesus. And that's what the call of this passage is here, to be changed. To not stay the way that we are and stay uh, in our old ways, but to be changed into the pattern, into the image of Jesus. I don't know if this still happens in elementary school, but when I was in elementary school, um, at the end of the year, you would get your yearbook before you went home for the summer break. I don't know if that still happens now, but you would get your yearbook before you went on, on uh, summer break. And what would you do before you took your yearbook home? You'd get all your friends to sign your yearbook, right? So your parents probably have some yearbooks in the attic that they could show you where their friends from elementary school or whatever signed their yearbook. And I remember one of the, one of the popular things to say as you were signing someone's yearbook, and maybe you'd put your football number next to your signature or whatever, but you'd say, have a great summer or something like that. But there was often, I don't know why kids do this, but there was often this repeated admonition in yearbooks is, you know, you're great, don't ever change, don't ever change. It's like if you want to tell your buddy there's something special, don't ever change, man. Just stay the way you are because you're perfect in the third grade. You're just your perfect self. Don't ever change. So that was just something that was odd. Yeah, people, they would just write this in their yearbook and uh, without, with little thought. Well, guess what? Kids, when you get older and you graduate from high school and you go back to your 20-year high school reunion, guess what you're going to find? People have changed, and they've lost hair, and they've added some weight. Maybe their face is pretty wrinkly, or she's just not the knockout that she used to be when she was in the fifth grade, and people change, and no one stays the same. Everybody kind of changes. But if you're at that 20-year reunion longer, long enough, you know, you're there past 60 minutes, maybe you're there past a couple hours, you get with your friends and you're talking and reminiscing, there's another thing you'll observe about your friends. You'll make this other observation, and Jason just hit it on a nail on the head. Man, some people never change. Dude, you are your same old, crazy, 17, 18-year-old immature self. And you've grown older, but you haven't grown up. Maybe I'm talking about myself. But sometimes everyone's going to change, and sometimes people never change. But the call of the Christian life is to change for the positive, to put away those hurts and those hang-ups and those bad habits and be conformed to be more and more like Jesus. How does that happen? There's one other place where this word metamorpho occurs in the New Testament, and that's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want you to turn there with me quickly, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. This is one of my favorite verses. Same author, the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And look what he says. 
he says, well, let me, let me start actually uh, in verse 16. And I, I got to confess to you, I told someone this earlier. This, so like in the last couple of weeks, I don't know if you've noticed, like my eyes, when I start looking down at the Bible, it's like the, the bright lights. And then I, I, I put the Bible up here. It's like, woo. People grow up and grow old and things change. So it's like the last couple of weeks I was like had to blink as I picked the Bible back up. I couldn't see it right. Okay, so let's start back up in 16 and I'm over here in the better light. But, the, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. He's making this reference to Moses in the Old Testament when he, when he uh, went up to the mountain and, and had conversation with God. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is, free, there is freedom. In verse 18, and we, this, this, this veil language again, and we all with unveiled face, okay, the veil has been lifted, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And then he says, don't take credit for this, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, the key place I want you to focus in on here is that, and with beholding the glory of the Lord, we are, be, we are being transformed. How are we being transformed? Well, it's coming by the Spirit, the end of the verse says, but it's coming as we are beholding the Lord. You know how we're changed? You know how metaf metamorphosis takes place in the Christian life? It's by beholding the glory of the Lord. It's by looking unto Jesus. Now, in, in a minute, I'm going to talk about being renewed by our mind, which is kind of similar as what he's saying here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But as we behold the glory of the Lord, we are transformed. What does that mean? It means that we have to continually fix our minds on Jesus and read his word and look at his life and see his beauty. And it's by beholding the glory of Jesus that the Spirit of God uses that process to change us. Let me read the words here of Kevin DeYoung, okay? I can't say it better than this. DeYoung says this. He says, the biggest need in your life and in mine is to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you want to become more loving, look upon Jesus who ate with sinners and welcomed repentant prostitutes and tax collectors. If you want more courage in the face of injustice, look upon Jesus who drove out money changers from the temple with a whip. If you want to grow in grace, look upon Jesus who reinstated Peter after he denied the Lord three times. Our main problem is not the lack of time or resources or the annoying people in our lives. Your main problem and my main problem is that we do, not see, we do not see enough the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We are not amazed. We do not stand in awe. We are not rendered speechless in his presence. Let us plead with God that we might behold his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Implore him for eyes to see. Pray persistently and passionately to know him more. Because there is no growing apart from gazing and no becoming like Christ without beholding him in his glory. 
Let me say that last line one more time. Because there is no growing apart from gazing and no becoming like Christ without beholding him in his glory. God's calling us to be transformed. And it's even a passive form there. To be transformed, but that transformation happens as we gaze upon Jesus. And that's why we need these times to be focused in song, to be focused in scripture, to see the beauty of what God has done for us in Jesus. And to gaze upon that beauty and to be transformed by that beauty. We're transformed. You notice he says, if you go back up to verse 1, he, he, he says it not as a command, but as, as an appeal. Some of your translations may say, I, I beg you or I plead with you. The old translation says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers. He is begging, he is pleading with us for this transformation process to happen. And it's a transformation that process that is willful on our part. He says, present yourselves to God, or some translations say, offer yourselves to God. And that is language here, folks. That is language of sacrifice. And Romans or Greeks or certainly Hebrews that were reading Paul's letter, they would know this language. This was sacrificial language. Offer yourself willingly. In view of God's mercy, offer yourself willingly. And not only is it a willful offering, but it's a total offering because look what he says also in verse one. He says, offer or present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And that's his way of saying it's a total sacrifice. Offer your whole self to God. Not just your mind, not just what you think about, but offer your whole self, your body. And then he says, as a living sacrifice. Now, Obviously, the people uh, that were reading this, they, were, they understood what a sacrifice was, but a, a sacrifice was an animal, and that animal, when it was sacrificed, it died. There was no getting out of this. There was no coming back off the altar, and, and what Paul is saying here is be a living sacrifice. What does that mean? It's, it's living sacrifice. It's got this place about it. It's got this part about it that's dying. It's a sacrifice, but it's also got this piece of it, but you're a living sacrifice, and some old wag said a long time ago, the problem with the living sacrifice is that it's always crawling off the altar, right? Living sacrifice. And what this means for us, folks, what this means for us is that every daily, daily, we are crawling back on the altar and saying, God, I'm yours. Is a living sacrifice. We're not dying, but we're dying to ourselves. We're dying to our way, uh, to our will, to our desires, and we're crawling back on the altar and saying, God, I'm yours. And that's not just something that you do the moment you trust Christ for the first time. It's something that we do daily. It's something that we have to do moment by moment, even hourly. God, I'm putting myself back on the altar here, sacrificing my desires to do your desire. Sacrificing my will for your will. He goes on, not only is it a willful offering and a total offering and a continual offering, being living over and over, but it's a mental offering. Here's the means right here. He gives us two means by which to be transformed. And the first one we've kind of already talked about, but he goes on to, to 
uh, mention it again by saying the renewal of your mind. One of the ways that we're transformed is by the renewal of our mind. Our mind has to be renewed because its default setting is on junk. Did you realize that? Go back to chapter 1 of Romans, and he describes our mind. Chapter 1, verse 28. What does he say there? My eyes are working now, so this is good. Chapter 1, verse 28, he said, he, he's talking about the sin in, in the Roman world, and he says, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, gave, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. See, naturally, our minds are debased or bent. He says the same kind of thing as well in Ephesians chapter 4. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. I know I got you jumping around, but hang with me. It's okay. Ephesians uh, 4, 22, 23. He says, uh, put off the old self, your former manner of life that is uh, corrupt through deceitful desires. And verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. We talk uh, here at Centennial, Centennial Church often about uh, transformation and, and, and that being a whole life process, holistic transformation, that we want to think like Jesus, we want to feel or emote or relate like Jesus, and we want to choose volitionally like Jesus. And those are all important, but I think the Bible would tell us that renewing our mind is foundational among all that. We have to be renewed in our mind because our mind by default goes back to debased things or warped thinking or lies that we just are drenched in in our culture and from our past. So we have to renew our minds. There's a lot of talk these days uh, in the wider culture about mindfulness, right? I'm not sure exactly what mindfulness means, and I think it's kind of finding peace within yourself or eliminating distraction. What the Bible talks about is not mindfulness, but renewal of our mind. And that happens as we're in this book, as we're feeding on truth. There's some ways that we've developed to help you do that. One of them is that on our CC app, there's a Bible reading plan. If you don't know where to read in the Bible, just get our CC app and there's a Bible reading plan on there that can help you renew your mind daily by suggesting the passages that you should read. We also, as Richard uh, in our uh, reading earlier in the service mentioned this New City Catechism. We've been doing this as a family and this, this catechism is an old-fashioned way of getting the truth in our minds, and in our children's minds particularly. It's a free app. You don't have to buy the $7 book on Amazon. It's free as an app on your phone, but it's wonderful for helping you renew your mind with the truth. It's so important. It's so important. There's other ways to do that, of course, and that's in community. Friday mornings, Man, there's plenty of reasons for me not to go to the men's Bible study on, on Friday mornings. It's my final day to prep for a message. But you know what happens when I get to men's Bible study? I am so renewed in my mind and spirit to attack the day and to finish a sermon. And it, it changes my thinking. I think sometimes, oh, I don't need to go today. But when I go, I'm renewed and I'm refueled. And I think it's transformational. 
It's absolutely transformational. There's one other major thing that he talks about for our renewal here. Not only the renewal of our minds, but our relationship with members of the body. And that's, that's the emphasis of Romans uh, 12, 3 through 8, where he's talking about not only are you renewed in your mind, but you're also transformed through relationships. Now, we, we have a habit of taking Romans 12, 1 and 2 and talking about it, about it just as a, as a special message. And it's, it's, it's great. It's two incredibly powerful verses. But I think Romans uh, verses 3 through 8, excuse me, tie right in to Romans chapter, or to verses 1 and 2. Because not only are we renewed, not only are we transformed by the renewing of our mind, but we're also created to be in community, in relationships that will transform us. And so his whole emphasis here in verses 3 through 8 is you have a gift. And other people have gifts. And you have to be within the church body. And you have to be a part of the community to where I can benefit from Bill's gift. And Bill can benefit from my gift. And he's going to say in verses 3 through 8 that everyone has a gift. And as we use our spiritual gifts, we are changed. And other people are changed as we exercise our gifts. We need you. I need you. And you need the people sitting around you. That transformation happens primarily in our minds and through our relationships. Think about the most important things that form you as a person. What you put in your mind and who you put around you, right? And if you are not meaningfully connected with other people in the body of Christ, that's the call of the second part of this passage this morning, that you get in a place where you can be ministered to through other people's gifts and you can minister to others, And through that ministry, one to another, we are transformed. We're changed. And your part is important. Not just the people up here singing or preaching, but we all have these gifts that we're supposed to use in our community groups and in the wider body to help us grow. And to quote that preacher Daniel Tiger, preacher Daniel Tiger, Everybody has, what is, what, how does it go? Everyone's job is important. We all help in different ways. Your grandparents caught that and maybe some of the, the, the parents of the little ones. Daniel Tiger, we all, everybody's job is important and we all help in different ways. That's what Daniel Tiger says. And that's true from the Bible as well. Hey, I gave you a Frozen reference and a Daniel Tiger reference today. And like, throw me a bone here, people. Whether it's prophecy, we don't have time to talk about that, or service, I love that he just says service, you know? Just serving, there's some people that you just just have a gift of serving, and by serving, you help the body. I think of people like Jim Waldron. The guy just is a constant servant, just doing whatever needs to be done. I think also a Sherry Farmer, who's around here every morning, early, before you get here, putting those little cards in the seats and making sure things are straight with the connection cards, just here to serve. Just a little part of the body that most people don't see, but does her part to help the body work, right? If you look uh, at the way this passage is structured, if you could put that slide on, Stephanie, in verses four through six, all throughout this passage, 
you see this, you see this interwoven connection of unity and diversity and plurality so that we're one body, that we're, we're a unit, we're a family, but we're not all the same. We have different gifts, so there's a diversity and there's a plurality and that you are members of the body and we are members of one another. And as we each get together, as we each serve one another, it helps each of us grow up. Not be stuck, but grow up and not just grow old. So I want to challenge you this morning uh, are you connected meaning, meaningfully with other people through a Bible study around here, through a community group, people that can help you grow, people that can sharpen you with their gifts and with their perspective and with their background to make you a better you and to make you more into the image of Jesus? Some of you may be thinking, man, I don't even know where to start around here. I don't even know how to serve. I don't know my spiritual gifts. Today on the, on the app, okay, for this sermon, the, if you go on the CC app for this sermon today, there's a little link to give you a free spiritual gifts assessment. You can take that little, it'll take you five minutes, this little five-minute assessment, and it can tell you, here are the gifts that you seem to have. Another great way to just find out where you fit is by just jumping in there and figuring it out through service and through experimentation. And hopefully as you serve people in the body, the other members of the body are saying, hey, you're really good at that. Hey man, the way you organize things or the way you, you uh, encourage people, the way you bring people meals or you show mercy, man, that makes such a difference. And people will affirm your giftedness as you begin to exercise different gifts and find out where it is that you really fit in the body. An old uh, mentor of mine, not an old guy, but a guy who mentored me a long time ago, said this. He said, uh, when thinking about where you fit in your spiritual gifts, he says, what do you enjoy doing, do it well, and other people affirm that you do it well? What do you enjoy doing, you do it well, and other people affirm you do it well? Now, there's some things that you may do well, and you're like, but I hate doing it, you know? Probably not the spiritual gift you want to hone in on. But what is it that you do well, you enjoy doing it? One illustration I heard one time is that finding your spiritual gift, doing, performing your spiritual gift is like asking a squirrel to climb a tree. And they just do it. They're just made for that. What is it that you do? What comes naturally or easy for you? And people affirm it. They're like, you're good at that. Do that. That serves me well when you do that. That third piece, what people affirm in you is important, okay? If, if, if you think you have this great gift and nobody has affirmed that in you, you might want to think, uh, if, are people really benefiting from this gift? And when I was in seminary, there's a, a seminary professor by the name of Howard Hendricks, and he would always say that everybody that comes to seminary thinks that they have the gift of teaching. Yeah, I'm in seminary, I must have the gift of teaching. And he said, if you think you have the gift of teaching, you, you better be able to find me a few old saps that have the gift of listening to you, right? Are people affirming the gift? Because you, you don't want to get caught, to use an illustration over here, in that American Idol uh, scenario where, the, you know, the first few weeks of American Idol where people are up there trying out and they're like, who, who told you to try out? Who did not love you enough to say, 
not your gig. Give it up, but the first three weeks of the show are the best because there's people just up there trying to perform and they have no business performing, right? You need the community. You need to be in a small group where people can say, uh, hey, man, you're awesome at that. And if, and if all you hear is kind of crickets or s- silence, and it may, then you have to start thinking, oh, no, no, maybe I'm not as good at that as I thought, right? We change by what we put in our mind and by who we put ourselves around. And as we exercise the gifts God gives us, we grow and the people around us grow. I'm finishing with this. Okay, what's the motivation to do that? The motivation to be transformed, the motivation to serve comes at the very beginning of verse one, where he says, I urge you therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. He's saying, think about what I've told you for the first 11 chapters of this letter. Think about what I've, I've, the grace and the mercy that God has lavished on us. And then in response to that, in view of God's mercy, be transformed, offer yourself, serve others, be renewed in your mind, not to get mercy, but because you've received mercy, right? We don't serve to get God's favor. We get God's favor through mercy, and then we serve. And the perfect picture of that is communion. The perfect picture of that is that Jesus first served us, not as a living sacrifice, but as a dying sacrifice. We love because he first loved us. If there, were any, if there were ever any person that didn't need to stoop down and serve, it was the Lord Jesus, the Holy One, God himself. But what did he do? In mercy, he stooped down and he served us. He sacrificed himself, his total body, so that we could live in sacrifice for him. If you see Jesus hanging on the cross for you, then you can crawl back on that altar and offer yourself as a living sacrifice for him. If he hung on the cross for me, I can offer myself every day for him in view of his mercy. Would you pray with me? I wanna invite our servers to go ahead and come forward and take the elements to your section. Father God, we thank you that you have saved us and you have not left us to ourselves, but you have saved us and now call us to serve you. And we pray, God, that in light of your incredible mercy and grace to us, we would offer ourselves daily, moment by moment, to serve you and to be transformed through our service and to be renewed in our mind. 
Jesus, we thank you that though you had no need to humble yourself, you had no need to sacrifice yourself, you offered yourself willfully, you offered yourself in total to save sinners in need of rescue. So Jesus, we come to the table this morning and we remember that you spared nothing in loving us and dying for us. We thank you for that, Jesus. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day that I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. He sacrificed for us. Come and celebrate his mercy.